people gave for six bottles, six bottles of wine, which was amazing. We were aiming for 10, but actually God knew way better than me because actually the evening, six was the exact amount of num- number of bottles we needed. It was, it was crazy. And everyone we spoke to was really blown away by it. I mean, totally blown away. So the first group of people I spoke to, Fran was introducing me to them. They were friends of hers. They were doing like a social media company. That's what they do for a living. Really cool guys. And they were like, why, why would you want to do this? Well, what do you want from us? I'm like, I, I, we don't want anything. That's amazing. That's so cool. The next group of people I spoke to was like, what's the catch? Where's the catch? There's no catch. We want you to have a great time. Yeah, but you're Christians. Yeah, I know. But we want you to have a good evening. Yeah, but what do you want me to do? I don't want you to do anything. What do you mean you don't want me to do anything? Like literally, okay, I do want you to do something. Have a good evening, they're great. And they're kind of like freaked out and we're going around table to table and the one t- table was like, no way, there must be a catch. There must be something you want from us. What do you want from us? And then this table behind them is overhearing what's happening and they just jump in like, no, no, there's nothing you want from you. I've got the wine here to prove it. <laughs> you know, it was so, and then I'm like, whoa, whoa. And then uh, there was the, these two girls that came in all they came in to do was to buy a bottle of wine and, um, by this point, I've got a really good relationship going with a guy who's going to be working here today, Ashley, one of the waiters, and he's going to me, hey, there's two girls out for wine. If you get in there quick, you know, you can grab that bottle for them or whatever. So quickly ran out there, spoke to them, and they were like, sorry, say that again. Take that from the top. Well, Jesus' first miracle, turning water to wine. The party lasted two days. He felt it needed to be three. So he, he turns that water to wine. The party keeps happening. So we just thought we'd make a really good night to commemorate that on Good Friday. And they were like, that's amazing. You're making me want to go to church. And I was saying, I'm not trying to, trying to make you do anything. You have an amazing time. You, you do whatever it is you need to do. Um, but yeah, if you want to come, come. If you don't, that's fine. You're free. Just have a great evening. And they're like, thank you so much. And then as it came to the point where I was leaving at the end of the day, um, a couple of tables were like, oh, bye, bye, bye. See you later. As I was coming back through after saying goodbye to Fran. Um, so it had a huge impact, had the exact impact we wanted. We weren't looking for bribing people to come to church on Easter Sunday. We were looking for people to be blessed and enjoy um, a time of year when sometimes as Christians we can get so caught up. Is it an egg hunt? Is it not an egg hunt? Is it the Easter egg hunt? Is it not the Easter egg hunt? Well, no, it's water to wine. And Jesus did that to introduce himself. So we introduced Jesus that way. So I I just want to say a huge thank you because obviously you guys don't get to go to those tables um, and, and see people's responses. So I wanted to feed that back. It was just so, so huge. So today we're going to get right down to things. We're on week three of our series, The Only Way is Jesus. We're kind of tying that in very, very loosely with The Only Way is Essex. Because obviously Jesus and Joey Essex have next to nothing in common, actually nothing in common. Uh, Maybe the fact they were both uh, human beings, maybe, and that's about it. Um, But yeah, so we're doing that. So the first two weeks, we've kind of gone with different aspects of Jesus and who he is that are about his way. So the first week we talked about truth, which is a huge thing for today's culture. Today's culture is all about relative truth. It's about fake news. It's about alternate facts. Yeah, that's a thing. That's incredible. That's a thing that the most powerful man in the world can get away with. I don't know how that happens. Alternate facts. You can lie and it's not a lie anymore. It's an alternate fact. And then we've got um, reality TV and relative truth. And so what's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. What if my truth says your truth is a lie? Well, Jesus came and he said that he was truth. So it's important that as Christians, we can't understand that he has truth. But week two, what we realize is that a lot of times when you feel like you have truth is you could be a bit of a douche about it. You can come to people in a way that's like, well, I've got this truth, and you can kind of bulldoze and steamroll them. The cool thing about Jesus is that's totally not what he does. So he is truth personified in a person, but we talked about humility last week because he came from the form of God 
and became a man, flesh and blood. So for someone who comes as truth, and he comes in a way where he's born in a manger, and he comes in a way where he ends up having to flee for his life with his family in Egypt, and then when they come back from Egypt, all the gold from the wise men has been spent, they now can only afford to live in um, the ghetto in Nazareth. So he's grown up in, in that kind of sphere. So for someone who was in the form of God, living in, growing up in the ghetto, isn't really how you would go about it if you don't have humility because he's the form of God. He could do what he wants. He wants to come a different way, he comes a different way. That's how he comes with ultimate truth. He comes with humility. And what he calls us to do is that when we come to people with our truth that God has given us and what he's done in our lives, we come to people with the same humility with the focus of serving them. So Paul used a word to describe Jesus calling him a bond servant, which meant that he was devoted to another to the disregard of his own interests. He was devoted to the father to the disregard of his interests. He put them aside on the shelf and he devoted himself to God and to us and his love for us. So today what we're talking about is we're talking about the way. So because it's Easter Sunday, we're really, everything's about reconciliation. So when we're talking about Jesus' way, Jesus' way is about reconciliation. And actually, I think sometimes when we talk about the, the Easter story, um, we see it as this, this, the entirety of the story, but actually the story is, is much, much bigger and it spans much further back, the problem that he solved. It spans back to the beginning. So the Hebrew people had this narrative and this story of a place called Eden and a place where sin entered in and death entered in and the people would die. And that death was a separation from God, who is life. So Jesus talks about himself being the truth, the way, and the life. And there's a separation between man and God. And so the story of the Bible starts with everything being called, then being together, this unity, this relationship. And then it's this separation of the two, the separation of man and God. And everything else, spoiler alert, um, in case you're reading through the Bible like a TV series, spoiler alert, the rest of the book is all about the reconciliation of how it was in the beginning. So if you're reading through your Bible like The Walking Dead and I've just told you that Negan smashed him on the head with a baseball bat, I am so sorry if I spoil it for you. I am so, so, so sorry. But it happens. Hashtag spoiler. So they separate and they go their different ways and the whole book is about bringing them back together. And in every single story, at every single layer, you just see this time and time again. So if today, for instance, we talk about Adam, which, which translates as Dirt Man. Dirt Man takes his way. God, his, they're separated. And then we see the story of Abraham, the founding father of Israel. And what happens is Abraham leaves his home and his place, going to search for a place that is God, searching for that reuniting, searching for that reconciliation. And he leaves with his nephew Lot and they're doing their thing. They're trying to find God. They're on their own mission, their own journey with God. And what happens is they've got this huge herd. And one day the herdsmen of both of the families are fighting and they're saying, man, there's just too much here we're devouring the landscape we can't survive together they're arguing and then Abraham says hey Lot I don't want me and you to have any beef you're my nephew I've got love for you how about we split ways you go your way I go mine you look over the hillside look at all there is if you choose to go left you go left if I and then I'll go right whichever way you choose I'll go the opposite way Lot looks out and he goes wow Canaan that looks amazing look at that valley look at the lush vegetation that is the place to be so he takes all his herd heads that way and then Abraham has to head in the opposite direction on some dodgy trek with not the greatest prospects in front of him Lot has such a huge estate that it goes all the way up and his tents end up being pitched against the place that we all know about called called Sodom and what happens in Sodom is God pours out his judgment on this place because they're sinful in their wicked ways and this place is destroyed. And when I say it's destroyed, it's like some Armageddon movie stuff. I mean destroyed, like boom. 
like the mother of all bombs kind of destroyed. That kind of thing, it is just absolutely vaporized and, and, and blown apart. And what happens is Lot and a few of his family, like his two daughters, they leave that place fleeing for their lives and they end up like living in a cave. And as far as his daughters are concerned, there's no Twitter, there's no Facebook, they can't catch the latest news feed and go, oh, the rest of the world is okay. They think this is some apocalyptic event. They think this is the end of all people everywhere. And they're like, well, we've got to keep the whole human race kind of thing going. So what do they end up doing? They end up getting their their dad absolutely slaughtered and they try and well not try they do they reprocreate with him and they get they get pregnant and the human race continues as far as they're aware and then obviously the awkward moment when they realize actually the whole human race isn't gone there are other tribes there are other people hashtag should have waited longer they kind of did that and it's messed up it's disgusting and that happens and that is how the people of moab are formed And then the Bible parks the story there. That's how the Moabites come to exist. It parks it there like any good TV series. That cliffhanger at the end of the series where you're like, what? I got to wait six months to find out what happens next? Jeez. No, you're going to wait a long, long time longer than six months to find out what happens next with Lot. That is parked. Then we kind of carry with Abraham. He has his kids and it leads all the way through to a story with Judah. And with Judah, what we end up is he ends up having a kid and that kid has um, a wife called um, Tamar and then what happens is the kid dies and then what happens in their custom is to keep the heritage going he's had no kids with her so a brother who doesn't have any kids or an estate he steps in he has to give a child so the other brother's life and family line can carry on its dynasty and so the other brother steps in to do that but then he dies and then the dad is like dang this woman like I ain't giving none of my sons to this woman I don't want to lose all my kids just trying to keep his line going so forget it bun them and he parks it there. But then what happens is she's like, well, this isn't like the end for me. So we end up on some crazy story where what she does is she goes out, dresses like a, dress it like someone who drops it low at the club, and she waits on the corner, and she sees, she's a father-in-law coming. I know this is not the talk you expect for Easter Sunday, right? This is not where you expect this to go. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. We're, we're going to get there. And so she does that. Mm. Gets him. She acts the, the harlot, so to speak. Then he doesn't know it's her. She's kept her face hidden through this whole thing. And then he sees her about her life. She's pregnant. And he is fuming. He's fuming. He's refused to give her the brother so in their culture they could carry on the family line. He's refused to do it. She's taken it into her own hands. She's gone straight for him, for the root. And he is fuming. And then she ends up proving to him, actually, Jeremy Kyle, the baby's yours. You are the father. Jeez. And then all of a sudden he's left weeping and he's like, she is a more righteous woman than I am. She's a more righteous woman than I am. And why does any of that matter? Well, it, it, it kind of looks like on the micro level, you read these stories and they're just stories that happen. And sometimes when you move along in the bigger picture of, of the scriptures, you kind of, kind of sometimes can miss what it's all about and what today is about and what Jesus is about. And um, what happens is there's this book called Ruth in the Bible. And what happens with Ruth is you kind of follow this story and there's this 
there's this lovely lady called Naomi and she has two sons and she's got a husband and her husband dies and she's grieving and it hurts. Losing a loved one like that, it kills. And then the next thing you know, two sons are married. Both her boys die. She's widowed, her two boys are dead. She's got these two daughter-in-laws and she just says to them, you know what, guys, you should just go back to your home country. Just go live your lives. Like, just forget about me, forget about any of this, move on. There is a life for you out there. It is not here. You can see how my life is going. And so one of them leaves and takes her advice after quite a bit of persuading. But Naomi, she's like, no, your ways are my ways. Your God is my God. I'm following you. I'm with you. I'm coming with you. And so they trek together from the place they're living, like in Moab. They trek their way and they come to Israel because there's starvation in the land they're from. So they've come all the way to Israel. So they're there in Israel. They're doing their thing. And basically, Naomi and Ruth, this whole thing's going on where Naomi has this estate and her son's estate and all this land, but also the, 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 son's, the son's wife. And they're still on the same trip as these other guys. They want the family line to continue. They don't want the family line to end there. And Ruth is so devoted to Naomi that she's like, yeah, we'll do this. We'll keep the family line going. And she goes there. And then Naomi's talked about this guy called Boaz. She does like some like next matchmaking like she's done all the tinder cancellations for everyone else in the country she's decided this is the guy for you and she sees him and this whole thing happens and they set it all up and Boaz is such a good guy such a good guy that he's like you know what I would love to to buy the estate I would love to marry you I would love to spend my life with you I would love to even continue the line and do all of that that needs to be done but the thing is, I'm not, next in, I'm not next in line. I'm not the next kin. I'm not the one who the property's open to. Let me tomorrow sort this out. So the next day he goes and he finds the guy and says, hey man, you are next in line. You are the one who should be heir of this land. This should all be yours. And he's like, cool, I'll buy the land. He says, yep, you buy the land, but you know what? You're also gonna have to take his, his, his wife and keep the family line going. And the guy's like, I don't want the land. <laughs> I don't want to keep the fa- that family line going. I've got my own plans, my own ambition, my own name I want to push forward. Like, thank you, but no thank you. So then Boaz steps up to the plate. He buys the inheritance of this land. They marry each other and they have, they have a kid together. And then the book ends with this weird, weird thing. So like genealogies in books normally happen at the beginning of books. For them, it happens, the, it, for the Hebrew tradition, it happens the other way around. It's like, oh, guess what? Guess what? You're never going to believe this. So then it goes like, these guys and the guy who, who, who turns the property down, he's, he prays a blessing over Boaz and he says, Boaz, I pray that you would be like Perez. I pray you'd be like Perez, which is linking back to the story I told before, which is like um, the kid that comes out of the, the other situation um, who Tamar fathered for Judah. That's what he prays over him. And then the book ends like this. It says, now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Amimadab, Amimadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, that's the kid that he ends up having with Ruth, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David, Jesse fathered David. And when we talk about David and we talk about a king, we talk about the whole Hebrew scriptures and what 
comes in the future is everything gears around that from David's line, there would be this Messiah. So when we look at back at the Christmas story a few months ago, we've got a Messiah who comes of the line of David. He, he, he goes back to Bethlehem for the census. He's of David's line. David's descent. But the amazing thing about the Jesus story is when you, you zoom out and when you look at the genealogy, you look at the families and you look at all that stuff, is you see something so wonderful. You see something so beautiful. You see something so powerful, which just connects completely with the gospel. You see, when we talk about the Old Testament, when we talk about this kind of stuff, people always talk about the Old Testament in a way of like, oh, you don't measure up and you suck and you're not a good person and you're this and you're that. Man, someone told me this week that someone had said to a person that, you know what, someone like you, you don't get to have this happy ending. You don't get to have that. You don't, people, people of this type of person and this type of spirituality, they don't, they don't have things to do with you. They don't have things to do with people like you. No, they don't. But the Messiah does. Jesus does. And when God was put into, into play his plan, and when God was putting into the types of people that he would have, going down this genealogy, which for the Jewish people is so precious, there are people included in there that do the craziest, most messed up stuff, but they're still a part of one big picture of reconciliation. Why do I say that on Easter Sunday? Why do I bother telling stories that are so messed up and you read and you hear and you're like, that's disgusting. Because so often we spend our whole lives committing to a belief that I'm disgusting. And so often we spend our whole lives believing that who I am isn't really good enough to be associated with God. This weird psychological thing that sticks in the back of our mind. But that's never been about who Jesus is. Jesus has always known that you and I have stuff going on that isn't always great and that we have our issues and we have our baggage. All these things wrap up and they're found in Jesus. This is his line. This is how he came to be. I'm going to wrap up with one last thing. It comes to the moment where Jesus is here. He comes as a servant. He comes about all these things and he says this statement. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life and the only way to God is through me. And today when we talk about reconciliation, when we talk about reconciliation, we're talking about man being reconciled back to God. Man in its entirety being reconciled back to God. And when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life, what he, and he said the only way is through me, he was speaking to them in a way they all understood because their understanding of the Hebrew tradition was there was a separation between man and God. They were going their way, prophet after prophet would say, this isn't the way, this isn't the way, this isn't the way. They would say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. It leads to death, it leads to death, it leads to death. Then Jesus would come with this whole new message who said, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden. He would say, come to me, repent and be baptized. Turn around, the kingdom of heaven is here. So everyone else was talking about, don't go that way, don't go that way, don't go that way. He was saying, oh, come this way. Turn around, come to me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to God is through me. And then he lays down his life, tying in with everything about their tradition. Not just the separation of some families, not just the separation of some people, but the separation of mankind. He took it back to Egypt. He took it back to their slavery. He took it back to Passover. He took it back to a time where they looked 
at everything that their people had suffered and how God had set them free from Egypt. And he took and he took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you and for many. It's my blood of the covenant. And he did all these things which they knew to be about their Jewish traditions. But he said, it's about me. It's my body that's about to be broken. It's my blood that's about to be poured out for you and for many. And so when Jesus died on Good Friday and we were turning water to wine for people, we were really, um, we were doing something about them having a good night. But actually there's something more symbolic about that wine. He was pouring out his wine on that day that on Good Friday he was pouring out his very blood that you and I could find reconciliation with God that you and I don't have to be as messed up as we are that we don't have to live in a place of guilt and shame that we can be comfortable within our own skin that we can pursue him and we can be a part of the work of reconciliation that he's doing not just then and there but here and now that he wants you and me to be children to be sons to be daughters of the Most High and that we can do that because of his death on the cross but actually his death on the cross isn't what seals it it's today it's today the reconciliation because you see what happened in the garden was death came in through adam but through jesus who the bible talks about as being a second adam we have eternal life because he took our death but he rose again he didn't just die and stay dead he rose again and the bible speaks about him sitting at the right hand of god ever living for our intercession and the beautiful thing is that you and i can have relationship directly with god because of what he's done And that we could come to God in the same way Tamar did with all the messed up stuff there and be a part of the reconciliation story. Because it's not about what's just happened before in the genealogy of Jesus. But when he died on the cross, we became children of the Most High God. We follow on that genealogy. And today, you and I, we are children of the Most High God. And we live out the reconciliation story in our own lives. And some of us may feel a bit like... Lot and Abraham that separated and way off here somewhere with some madness going on and some pain over there. But in the fullness of time, God, by his grace, by his spirit, he brings it all back round together. And he brings it all back round together for our good and for our healing. So today we are talking about reconciliation. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to wrap things up there. Father God, I thank you that the whole point of this day is that we can be reconciled back to God. Adam walked with you in the call of the evening. I thank you that we can know you in the same way. I thank you, God, that we don't need to to prove ourselves or be something more than what we are, but that we have to receive the free gift you gave on the cross. And that by your spirit, you want to empower us to continue that work of reconciliation that you started. And that you are reconciling all things to yourself. Spirit of God, would you meet with us today, right here and now, in a tent on Clapham Common, where maybe for a long time we've been walking around feeling certain ways about ourselves that you don't want us to feel. Father, would you liberate us from that? Father, would you forgive us for the times when we've been in deliberate rebellion, walking away from you? Would you help us to do what Jesus called us to do, which is to turn around and to come to you? Would we live a different way, empowered, knowing that the way you're calling us could lead to the reconciliation of so many people reconciliation in families and communities change lives all around us and our own lives changed and free to be who you've called us to be father i thank you that in the genealogy of jesus i don't see all the perfect types of people everyone tells me that we have to be but i see people empowered and accepted by your grace Would you accept us in your grace this morning and empower us to live for you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.